This episode of Troxel is supported by Avail. Avail helps AECO firms better manage, organize, and navigate information faster. Visit getavail.com today. This episode of Troxel is supported by Confluence, a small conference event for AEC professionals and technology providers to discuss industry trends and ideas together. It's put on by the fine folks at Avail. You can learn more about the upcoming invite-only events during this episode. This episode is sponsored by ArcIT. ArcIT only supports architecture, design, and engineering firms at a price that would pleasantly surprise you. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. This is the podcast where I have conversations with guests from the architectural community and beyond to talk about the co-evolution of architecture and technology. In this episode, I welcome Ryan Cohen and Matt Clary of Neoscape. Ryan oversees Neoscape's New York studio as managing director. Using his background in architecture, he develops concepts and directs award-winning films, pitches unique concepts for films that differentiate clients' projects, and then organizes and details how those films develop. Ryan works closely with other partners and principals on the strategic direction of the company. Matt is an art director who oversees Neoscape's 3D production team in New York City. His expertise is in film, creativity, lighting, and camera animation. Matt works with a team of digital artists to make sure that illustrations and films communicate visually, while also working closely with the creative directors and clients to brainstorm and translate the concepts, messages, and ideas into successful images and motion pictures. Ryan and Matt have joined me today to talk about Project Hillside. You may not know this project from its hillside name, but you probably have seen and heard of it before, perhaps more so if you're coming from an architectural background, as architect Moshe Softy's Habitat, an architectural landmark which was built in Montreal, Quebec, Canada in 1967 for the World's Fair. Although what was built, it turns out, was only an amended version of the overall vision from Softy's master's thesis project at the School of Architecture at McGill University. Today, Project Hillside brings the entire vision to life through an incredibly detailed and fully immersive architectural experience, which was a collaboration between the teams of people at Neoscape, Moshe Softy Architects, and Epic Games Unreal Engine. In this episode, Matt, Ryan, and I talk about the thousands of hours, dozens of people, and the tools and tech it took to create the experience as well as new potentials for user experience and storytelling within the immersive environment. Project Hillside has received positive feedback from lots of stakeholders, including Softy himself, and is available for download so that you can experience it as well. This was a fun one, so now I bring you Ryan Cohen and Matt Clary. Matt and Ryan. Thanks for joining me today. Excited to have you here. Thanks for having us. So I'm very excited to talk about Project Hillside. You guys are both at Neoscape and you teamed up with Epic and Moshe Softy Architects to bring this project to life. I would love it if you would introduce the project. You guys get to pick who goes first. You can virtually arm wrestle here. Tell us about the project and, and just like the inception of it. How did this thing even come to be? Because as an architect myself, this this project, a piece of it exists, right? A piece of it was built. You can explain it better than I can because I, I know of the project. I know of 
softies work, but we've never seen this before. So, so jump into it. Tell us where this came from. Yeah, certainly. So it's been, it's been pretty, uh, it's been a pretty interesting kind of dynamic of how uh, the uh, inception of it. So basically Carlos Cristerna from, uh, Epic games, uh, is a long time architectural visualization artist. Um, and so he's basically tasked at Epic to kind of bring their, their, their gaming engine, specifically the, uh, unreal 5.0 now 5.2, mm-hmm. uh, software platform into the architectural visualization and A and E space. So certainly traditionally it's more for gaming or for sure. feature film. Uh, so he, it, it's on him to kind of try and bring it to life, uh, in, in, in kind of our space. So he wanted to do that with a, a case study and instead of just kind of doing it on his own or coming up with a fictitious project to kind of show the capabilities of the software, he's like, why don't we work with a, you know, a recognized name in the architectural visualization space. We've worked together before for many years. Um, so. Uh, working with Neoscape and then using an actual project. Um, we also have a, a long-term 20 plus years relationship with, with Softy Architects, uh, doing a lot of their, um, you know, kind of competition work and other development work. Um, so we wanted to kind of bring us the three of us together to showcase how, again, how the software could, could work within the A&E and architectural visualization space. Um, concurrently, Softy had just kind of released the book of all of his unbuilt projects. Okay. So we thought it'd be really exciting to kind of showcase a project that was unbuilt, um, as kind of a tool, not just to show what the tool could do, but also almost as like an informational education piece on, uh, an important piece of architecture in the architectural world. So Habitat 67, uh, is a, you know, worldly recognized architectural project was totally iconic. uh, 1967. Right. And everybody kind of is aware of it, but they don't know, like you mentioned, nobody knows the real story of what it was right. supposed to be. Right. So we wanted to kind of, uh, to kind of showcase the, uh, the entire thing in its entity. So that's kind of how, uh, it, it, it originally came to be. I, I want to ask if you guys, you guys are storytellers. You typically like script all this, you storyboard things out, you tell a visual story, you take people from point A to point B to C to D. But, but a game engine lets people do whatever they want. Obviously, one of the assets to this whole thing is you let people download the thing and look around and you've got exteriors, you've got interiors. And I want to talk about all of how that all came to be. But as storytellers, what do you guys think about, and, and I'm sure you have unreal experience previously, but as, as a storytelling device and just like letting people explore, that's a, two very different things, right? Or how do you see that? I'm, I'm curious just to hear how you as visualization experts think about, because as an architect, it, there is a, a key that unlocks something in somebody's brain when they get to drive, right? As a client, if you give something to a client and it's like a real time environment and they get to look wherever they want, that's very different than like some prescriptive views that we shoot, that we render of our projects. Um, and so I'm just wondering how you guys kind of see all that as, you know, this is what you do all the time is storytelling. So where, where this, where does that take you? Obviously there are two different kind of products almost, but, um, what we found mm-hmm. part of our sort of the ask for this, for us was to produce a film, uh, for it. And we found that the game engine and the real time environment 
made the sort of decision-making process of what story to tell a lot easier because you can see lighting, you can see camera movement in real time and say, Hey, is this a good shot? Is this a bad shot? You know? Um, yes, it is. It is, uh, you know, giving somebody the power to walk through, uh, and give them their own sort of control of the environment is definitely it, it's liberating for them, but you can also kind of script out where they go when they do that and sort of similar to like an open world video game style. Right. Um, and that was done as well in this project sort of with parameters. You can't really go everywhere in Montreal. You can go around a, a certain area and, you know, there is a, a separate story and narrative to be told within that. So they are two different products, but they are kind of both examples of storytelling, um, just done in different ways. Yeah, right. Well, let's get back to kind of how this, what it took to create this. So I watched that intro video. It was very well done on on the site. And it kind of talked about what went into this with scanning and drones and then obviously like pulling the design out of the archives and you know digitizing that and modeling all of this stuff and maybe you guys can talk about that we'll get to tools later but just like what are we talking about a huge amount of data right you guys did a ton of photogrammetry lidar scanning of the entire existing environment and then you had to plug in this unbuilt design into that which also had to be modeled and again, kind of coming at this from an architectural designer point of view, we do this on every single project. We have to build the context model. We have to build our model. We have to stitch all that together. It's an ungodly amount of work. That kind of thing is getting easier. There's data sets out there that exist of really dumb volumetric buildings and things like that. But this is way more detailed than any of that. You guys took this way to the next level. So talk about all the different pieces of the puzzle that had to come together to form the the final model one is it's not we just we didn't have to just digitize the archives because you know this kind of died on the vine a little bit like they you know softy presented a concept and there were some drawings but then it then it was left at that so we the softy team had to actually design a lot of pieces Oh, wow. So that we could get all those details in, in certain areas. So it wasn't just uh, just taking it, drawings. So he had like these really loose those. conceptual drawings that, you know, because it was just a concept, right? But now you're saying they actually had to take it to a way higher level of detail to actually make the design work at some level. Yeah. Yeah. Like all those plazas, how like the, you know, the, the architecture meets with the, the, the landscaping and mm. those kind of like reflective pools. A lot of that had to be, so the softy team was, was designing Again, in a similar fashion that we would uh, do on a, on a project that's being you know, conceived today. Mm -hmm. um, so that was just an interesting point. But but um, as far as the putting all the pieces together, I think that that was part of the case study. You know, it's it's certainly a different model than what we're used to, where we're you know charging per rendering or charging for a ninety second film, um, and then figuring it out. In this case, we're we're basically building that data set. Um, using the, the unreal engine to kind of then once you have that set then you could do whatever you want with it you could have an interactive experience you could create as many renderings as you want uh, um you could create a film you can create any type of film so it's just now we're we're looking at how this kind of paradigm shift in in the way we think about all the all that content creation so now we're we're 
based on building the asset and then, you know, producing the content outside. This episode is brought to you by Avail. Avail is the content management system you deserve. With its beautifully simple interface, Avail makes it easy to manage, organize, find, and use your information. Designed by designers for designers and engineers, the Avail platform takes advantage of visual acuity, allowing for a visual audience to identify what they need in a couple of clicks. Avail is designed to serve any content type from any file location and allow for simple, fast deployment of your content. Plus, thanks to powerful integrations with Revit and other applications, you can seamlessly incorporate Avail into all your workflows. Say goodbye to the headache of locating and managing content and say hello to efficiency. To learn more, visit getavail.com. Avail, the information you need faster. Yeah. So what are those different building blocks that you guys kind of orchestrated to make sure that this all happened? You've, you've got context, you've got the building models, like there's tons of stuff in there. Yeah, and we broke it down. You know, from the, the context, uh, we basically built the whole city of Montreal. Um, <laughs> and then, so there is the context, there's obviously the architecture, there's the landscaping, um, there's the, we, the interior unit we used, uh, Moshi Softy actually had, had a unit, um, there. So we wanted to kind of use his unit based mm-hmm. on, you know, 1960s kind of the, the, not the current conditions, but, but 1960s kind of approach. Uh, and then also all the, then the dynamics, uh, you know, like the, the weather conditions, um, the, you know, the, the, the geese and other, the, the, the kind of human elements of things. So all those things had been, um, in a, in a parallel paths. Uh, there was also, um, cool. we would, we had to build a lot of furniture and detail stuff for it. Like it was, it wasn't very, it wasn't like we could kind of go on Epic's website or, or marketplace or whatever, we had to kind of like build sort of unique pieces of furniture, um, as well as rebuilding a lot of the, the data set, like, um, you know, the scan models kind of heavy, um, and even with, you know, Unreal's Nanite and so forth, like we, we still had to kind of do a bunch of optimization work on that stuff. So, um, there was a lot that came together. And, and it sounds like with the tools, the tool set, I, I, I assume, cause I know Jason, he's been on the show before and I used to work with him that you guys are mostly, are you mostly a 3ds max shop? You mostly do your work in that or is it all over the place? Uh, it's mostly predominantly max. Yeah, we do. Um, but we do, uh, we have unreal, we have, uh, you know, we use, um, a bunch of different software, but for rendering purposes, it's max mostly. And from, from softies side of things are they coming to you with rhino models what are they building there the, okay so they are i see nodding going on yeah yeah, rhino. <laughs> yeah they're yeah they, they're delivering the models in rhino and then we're bringing them up and optimizing them in max and then bringing them in okay okay interesting so this this whole idea of, of like what unreal is capable of i want you guys to type kind of tell that story because I assume you have a lot of Unreal experience previous to this. This is not your first rodeo when it comes to Unreal. At least it doesn't appear to be. So give us kind of an idea. You talked, you, you said Nanite, you know, I know a big push with Unreal 5 and now at 5.2 is just this incredible level of detail that you can achieve in, in the package because 
it can handle so much geometry, but you guys are using it day to day on the, on this project. What is that? What is that really like? What is it capable of? Give people an idea of what, what can be done with it. Well, yeah, I mean, you can, then I can ingest so many polys, right? It, it, you can have just very dense meshes that it will, you know, just chew through. Um, and so we, we did make use of that for make great use of that on this project. Um, for sure. Uh, and yeah, Unreal is, is capable of, of sort of importing really anything. Um, uh, it does, it should be optimized, uh, you know, for, inter for frame rate reasons and things like that. But, um, but Nanai was kind of, yeah, it was a, it was a big help. Just to add to that and more on the kind of big picture level, not on the, the kind of engine itself, but think matt actually touched on this earlier from like a an art direction standpoint like it just it, it there's a lot of efficiencies in using unreal in this process than what we're traditionally used to so if you can imagine the film we created um you know was was really all done in unreal so we're we're art directing in real time so you know if we we need a, an early morning shot typically we would you know I, as a creative director i would talk to matt as an art director of what the vision is he would work with his team, come up with some cameras with no lighting, and we're like, okay, we like the composition. Uh, then we would send it to the render farm. We would get it back and say, like, oh, the lighting isn't right, you know, so we have to go send it back to the render farm. And then we put mm -hmm. it in, then we get the shot we like. We send it to an editor. He puts it in the edit. We then look at it and like, we, so it's just like a, it's a long chain of like events that, that just go back and forth and really inefficient. So now with the way we created this film, everything was done in one program. So we're, you know, Carlos at Epic and I and Matt were like art directing in real time saying, look at this shot. Let's sweep the camera here. It's already, you know, it's already pre-lit. We think the, you know, the lighting should come from the cloud cover should be a little bit more cloud cover. We need a little bit more rain or less rain. It's all done in real time. So we can make decisions in the moment. And then yeah. also the, the, the editing timeline is also in there. So we can literally just kind of look at the edit and say, you know, at this shot, we need to tweak a little bit, we pause the edit. It's in a live camera, we tweak it and then it's, it's all set. So it really makes efficiencies from a production standpoint and an art direction standpoint. And then, uh, on the, the client side of things or the user side, um, we, you know, we now have all these tools that are dependent on what the, the need is. So a film, again, it is prescribed, uh, but it has an emotional side to it as a music track and it could be used in a, on a website or something for someone to understand um what the project is overall but then there's an interactive component it's also there that might be in a marketing center that someone can kind of walk through so there um all those tools all those products are coming out of the same program so it just allows again a lot of efficiencies on both the back end and on the uh and the user side. yeah just to one other thing um that helped us out was the uh the datasmith importing plugin that we we used um which you know you can you can take models in from Revit or Rhino or uh, SketchUp, um, so forth. Uh, we used it for Max, um, but it basically allows you to bring in sort of everything that you need um, as a scene, uh, including things like cameras and lights. Um, we basically how we set up uh, the cameras and so forth, and this was, was we began in Max actually, not in Unreal. Um, and it's nice that it'll let we we later like kind of 
switched over, but it's nice to be able to sort of set cameras up in the program of your choice and import them via Datasmith into Unreal. So um, that's another sort of method that we made great use of uh, in this project. I think about the architects and how there was there, you, you said that you had involvement from Epic. Was, was there somebody from Softy also sitting at the table when you guys are talking about the art direction and the, the cinematography and the angles and things like that to, because they probably are so intimate with the project, are they also having a voice in that conversation? We shared things with them at certain milestones and so forth to get buy-in and so forth, but on like the, in the weeds on like looking at cameras in the program, they were kind of less involved yeah. in that. Um, then, then they might be in a, in, in a, in a newer development. Right. In a project that they're actively working on. Okay. So th this yeah. whole, this whole storytelling mood setting thing, I think is, is really interesting because what we've talked about on this show before, when it comes to real time rendering is that it, it's not, it's no longer like this post process. It's not this thing that comes after the design or maybe at different milestones during the de design. Now it is a decision-making tool in the design process. Yep. That's what is so different about real-time rendering versus what I, you know, conventional or traditional rendering. So it sounds like exactly the same for you guys. Like there's, if you can walk around in a fully lit, full environment, you've got rain coming down, you've got, you know, bloom on the highlights and you've got geese flying in the background and it, it's pretty incredibly different than what we've all kind of grown up thinking about what render it, the rendering process was actually like. Tell, tell us about, about that, because it, it seems like that to me is the biggest message for people who use these tools is that it actually helps the design progress. It actually helps the story progress. It's no longer this very linear process. It's really embedded throughout now. Yeah. Part of that is a little scary, like in, in, in side conversations with the, you know, uh, Jaron Lubin at, at Soft Architects, who was, who was really kind of spearheading a lot of this, like, is, uh, is scary because, you know, in, in historically, an architect is kind of presenting a concept of an idea early on. And it's not, you know, they're not starting with construction documents. It's, yeah. it's a, it's not know, fully it's baked schematic design <laughs> and it's, right. it gets developed. Uh, but nowadays, particularly in the, in the competition world, the, mm -hmm. the client is, is looking for more and more information. So they have to figure out more and more of the details earlier on. And then, so now with real time where you can kind of, not really can go anywhere, even it just it compounds that where there's no, there's kind of a breakdown in the trust of just like, Hey, the architects are the experts is a cool idea. And this is how the kind of the, 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 the design concept works. And then we're going to kind of figure it out. Um, now they have to figure out all that stuff early on because everyone's seeing everything. So it's, it's a little bit of just a, a shift in information. You know, I just think even on the consumer side of, you know, e-commerce and so forth, everyone is just much more educated on everything these days There's all that information is out there. So that's now coming to fruition in the kind of design world as well, where the expectation of the individual learning on their own is just that much more heightened. One other thing, um. I could add to that. It wasn't on Hillside because this, this wasn't being an active, actively built project, but we have used Unreal in other projects to figure things like design problems out that wouldn't have gotten caught uh, that early on in the process. Um, like some 
example would be, you know, doctor work, you know, going in front of something that you don't want it to be go in front of, you know, um, we were able to catch things like that, uh, using real time walkthroughs. So, uh, ended up saving, I'm sure a lot of work and, and money down the road. Yeah. But so I think what Matt's mentioned is the, uh, Right. Museum of Natural History, the new wing in New York. So it's a very, it's a studio gang design, very complicated, organic kind of concrete forms. So the, yeah, the, the kind of construction and kind of, uh, management of that using a tool like this really helps the different teams kind of, um, figure out how they, how it all, all the systems work together. Yeah, this whole idea of kind of previs, right? Like the the visual effects industry has been doing this forever, right? It's like, and and it yeah. it was traditionally like low poly, you know, shaded render, fong render, whatever, back in the day of just blocking it all out and figuring this thing out, and then adding, adding, adding detail more and more and more. But now you're saying like it's really the expectation is that that detail is there as early as possible. And I think that's, that is super interesting, right? Because design actually is a linear process. It has little loops, like feedback loops all through it. So it, it's not completely linear, but it does like this step has to happen before that step. And right. what we're talking about, and I think this is kind of a byproduct of building information modeling in general, which is like, it asks you to make decisions earlier and architects don't necessarily, they're not trained to think like that. And the software is kind of forcing people to do that. And you're, it's even more supercharged as soon as it looks real, right? That's, I think that is the hardest yeah. thing for people to get around still mentally, but also process workflow wise, which is because there's so many times where an architect is working on a model and they're three steps ahead of what they're actually presenting to the client because they have thought ahead, but they don't want to get the conversation going in a different direction yet. They don't want someone to focus on the colors, the materials, things like that. They want them to focus on yep. the space. And so they might turn off textures. They might turn off a lot of things before they show it to a client. But, but the expectation of a consumer, a client is really way higher than that, right? They want renderings the whole time. They want, they, do you have updated renderings with something that haunted us as architects, right? Because it was so difficult previously to produce renderings and now it's not difficult to produce renderings, but we're still maybe not at the point at which they expect to see detail worked out. It's, it's, it is like full of little catch 22s throughout this process. How did you guys navigate that? Yeah. I mean, here you don't, you don't, it's different than a built project and you have, you're working with architects. They understand you're working with your own team who really understands that. So maybe you didn't have to deal with this as much, but you do it on a daily basis with a lot of other clients, right? I, I would assume that this is something that you're kind of figuring out as you go. And I, if you have any tips in this, in this section, I, I'm sure architects would love to hear them of how you deal with this expect, like setting ex, uh, appropriate expectations throughout this process. Yeah. I mean, you want to take a mat, I can you? just say it's a huge problem, you know, like <laughs> um, yeah. it, it becomes about, you know, just setting expectations really in real time with, with your clients and, um, Maybe explaining, you know, hey, sometimes a rendering, a fully real rendering, is going to do more harm than good at a certain stage of the of the pro of the process. But um, yeah, you're right. right. It is a it is a kind of a 
an issue. And um, I, I like to be optimistic about it. It's almost like if you show them something that they would end up seeing later, if you show it earlier and they react positively or negatively to it, you know, maybe that gives you a nice sort of sign post or, or a path to go down. But, um, but it's definitely, mm-hmm. you know, it's got its drawbacks as well. Right. Well, I think, I think there's two, one is the, yeah, the detail of, of what the consumer, the client is seeing. So, I mean, we've already seen that shift from, you know, watercolor conceptual art rendering artist renderings, which are paint the, the, the picture of, of, you know, what it is to now photorealistic renderings of people scrutinizing light fixtures and like a huge, right. you know, auditorium. So, right. so we've already gone, we've already kind of moved into that direction. This is kind of just the next level of that so now you can kind of look kind of see everything so it's already been kind of that shift um but i think some of the the benefits of it are again like just understanding things that you might not have been focused on before and that doesn't even have to be an architectural thing that could be a master planning kind of conversation or how things fit into within the context of you know instead of coming up with a perfect one your hero shot view of one moment in time of, you know, the sunniest day in, you know, in June of uh, projects, you know, on a, on a blue sky day, like, how does it react in the rain? How does, like, how is it going to react if we're, you know, on, you know, somewhere else in, you know, you're approaching it from somewhere else in Montreal or something like that, you know, it's so, like, you get to just understand things um, that could help beyond the architecture, could help with uh, access or, you know, kind of, um, you know, just other problems beyond just the, the design itself that you can now, you can now look I at. I mean, even lighting studies are just a I'm, good example of that, right? Like you can, you can just see, mm-hmm. you can move geometry around and see what, uh, the, sh- what shadows are going to be cast at nine in the morning and on this summer day or, um, so forth. Yeah. I'm laughing. Which was one of the, re- which one of the goals of our, of the, the film concept was not only to push the, the envelope of, of what the tool would unreal could do, but also to show that like we literally typically when we have a film like this, it would be one day, you know, an arc of the day, it might have an early morning light, midday light and kind of evening light, but it's usually on a perfect summer day. So we wanted to see the arc of the year so that we can kind of like look at that, look at how lighting changes, look at how weather conditions and atmosphere changes. So every single shot in the film has a, I think there's 50 or 60 shots have a different atmospheric kind of, uh, climate scenario. So I think that's, that, that was one of the goals of the film is to show that you can look at any condition. This episode is sponsored by Confluence. I've invited Randall Stevens, the CEO of Avail to tell you about it. In 2019, we held the inaugural Confluence event, which was designed to bring together the product managers, the technology developers that are working on the products used daily in the AEC industry, and put them in the room with the design technology leaders from the practice side that are actually implementing and using these technologies. The goal isn't to sell anybody anything at these events. The goal is to get a better understanding of what's working, what's not working, and what would be the best products to develop to be implemented in the AECO industry. We've held these three-day confluence events the past four years and attracted over 100 attendees. We have an exciting agenda plan for our annual event in October. 
the theme this year is going to be focused around AI and machine learning and its applications in the AEC industry. You can learn more about Confluence at getavail.com slash Confluence. Yeah, I, that's fascinating. I, I was laughing earlier because you were talking about the one hero shot, and now it's just all hero shots, right? Like the whole thing is a hero <laughs> shot. Yeah. And so I, it's yeah. like, be careful what you ask for, because like, do do we want to use this as a tool to its full potential? Yes. And as soon as a client sees that, the expectation is there, right? And And so then it's like, from then on, now it's like, we can do anything. We can do anything anytime. It's it, This is the everything everywhere all at once kind of a thing, right? It, and so the tool is obviously super capable and you talk about the different kinds of environments. And, and so I want to kind of talk about this now from a storytelling angle. You guys, you, you just kind of laid it out there that you wanted to tell the story of the four seasons, right? The, a whole year as you're kind of walking around this project. And you're used to, or we're all used to kind of controlling and creating this one perfect mood but the whole idea of mood and environment in rendering is always been so important to kit. I mean, to sell an image, number one, but also just to really give people a feeling of what it's like to be in space looking at a two-dimensional image. That's changed now with something like this, where you can actually go through it and experience it in a more full way. You talk about kind of how that has shifted your approach as storytellers. Is that... I mean, I, I would think that this has got to be a pretty incredible, uh, I mean, it's an incredible set of tools, but it also just, it kind of opens the door for you to be way more creative in the way you tell stories through visualization. It, it is still a tool. I think there's, there's still an art to it and like, a, you know, of what the story is and what the goals are of it. And then using it as a tool that's you know, more efficient and kind of opens up opportunities to kind of create different things, but there's still, there still has to be some sort of creative direction, um, initially to, to, to get you started. I would think that there's like, there's so many options and I, like <clears throat> somebody who's just getting into this wants to throw everything at it. Like, let's put rain in there. Let's put butterflies in there. Let's put leaves in there. Let, but then you, you guys are, you obviously have kind of this real sensitivity to all of the what those pieces add or subtract from the experience so is it is it more of a process of like it just has to be very you have to be very careful about what you decide to put almost, in the scenes versus not yeah it's almost like a subtractive process uh or it can get to that point where yeah. you know you have to you have so much potential of what you can do that you have to choose the right the right you have to make the right decisions to create the correct immersive environment right because that's what you're doing you're like you're not only looking at a still 2d image of a hero shot in the rain you're actually in the rain now then you can walk around and yeah. hear it potentially so the i think the question is you know and it's gotta be made at some point is you know is that the right environment to be in is does that tell the story the in in the way you want it to or does it want to be a sunny day or does it want to be snowing or or what have you so it's it's almost like a you start with everything and then whittle it down and and craft a story out of that rather than building it up from nothing um 
Yeah, which, which, which basically goes back to what I said earlier is that like it's we're creating a data set and then you can create a rendering of film or or whatever an interactive kind of experience with it so one of the things that we're really uh, personally I'm really excited about is now that this is released to the the full model we worked with with all those weather conditions is released to uh, to the public so I want to see what other people can concept and kind of come up with based on on a film that they might want to create with it or a rendering, you know, so mm -hmm. it, now it's just out there. And then, you know, the artistry can, it basically is removing the, the roadblocks of artistry. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really now you can, you can kind of, whatever you want to do, you can kind of, you can do it within the tool. I, I wonder how softy's office thinks about that. It's like, you've got this perfect thing. It is exactly the vision that was there. You know, it's the elaboration of the original vision that it makes it complete and now somebody's going to make it into this post-apocalyptic godzilla walking through it you know kind yeah. of that's what my son would do i guarantee you that's exactly what he would do with it uh so it 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 is kind of you know it's kind of scary at the same time of like what yeah. are people going to do with this thing <laughs> well that was a huge i mean to be honest that was a huge uh discussion between epic and softy on that you know mm. is this going to be brought into fortnite where kids can blow it up and stuff like that was there was a lot of discussions about that and that's why it's for education purposes you know it's still out in the public but it's for education purposes so there are limitations on what you can do with it to 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 keep respect of of something that's is, is due the respect but at the same time i think from a softies perspective they're really excited about it from an educational standpoint i know jaron again mentioned he's using it he teaches at the gsd and he uses it as a instead of a textbook to show like hey how housing could work you know and like so it becomes a tool, not just for marketing, but also for an educational uh, standpoint as well. Yeah. I'm interested in what, what the hard parts were. So I mean, you guys make it look easy because you're professionals, right? And so I think this is something that, you know, every architect out there who does design work fully understands that there's like this there are the pretty pictures at the end. There is the final building at the end, but oh man, what a process to actually get through. It takes years. It's toil of sweat and like all this. What were the hard parts about this? Was there anything that really stands out that made it just, you know, you're glad you're glad that part's over? I mean, I think it was, I mean, it's a huge, it was, it was a, it was a challenge. I mean, I think the whole thing was we were, we were building things, but at the same time, we were, we were collaborating with Epic on developing the tools mm. and, you know, for them to, to, to understand how it will be released. So the architectural visualization world can use it, you know, day, you know, in their daily kind of, uh, uh, needs. So I think that was challenging, but also exciting at the same time We're we're literally creating tools on the fly to support what we wanted to achieve. Um, so that was one. And then just, yeah, just the detail for every shot, for every scenario, every climate scenario and stuff. I think just that level of detail was just maybe not so much hard as just kind of time consuming and, and, and sort of, uh, scrutinized. Yeah. Matt, you were smiling there. What, 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 oh, man. what like Doug, Doug is thorns into you. <laughs> yeah. In maybe this process. He's more, <laughs> I think it's easy because I'm on. The I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it's just a massive project. There were a lot of stakeholders, um, and probably the biggest, the hardest thing was just creating the detail necessary to run at the right frame rates, you know, like, cause you, there's just a lot that goes mm -hmm. into that. Um, obviously there's a lot of tools within unreal that 
help you out with that, but it, it is still a lot of work. So, um, and you know, as Ryan yeah. mentioned, we had the, we had the benefit of having Epic and, and others, uh, literally write tools from, uh, scratch that maybe not from scratch, but from stuff that their engineers had done that, uh, that helped us out with certain problems. But, um, but it was just, I think the hardest thing was just the, the scale of it just the amount of stuff that needed to get modeled, textured, painted, so forth. So, yeah, yeah. A lot of manual. Yeah, work I think there's, still. I mean, how many units are yeah. there? So like, we're, it's, we didn't want to just like replicate, like every, every unit has its own terrace. So, we, you know, we, it's not like we're just replicating the terrace, you know, a, a thousand times, like each one was individually stylized and designed and so forth. So it's, it's just a, a lot of, a lot of data. Yeah. I mean that it's not just copy paste. It's not just like some cloning modifier or whatever there <laughs> with all these instances of the same unit. It, it, there is a lot of kind of bespoke design happening and I can see how an architect would definitely appreciate that for sure. And it shows in the final result talking about to making tools as you went along and, and working with Epic to like create something out of nothing, right. To solve a problem. I think architects are getting more and more used to creating tools that automate certain pieces of their process. But I mean, can you talk about that, the necessity to do that? Because there are still a lot of architects who only buy the off the shelf software, right? They're only working with the tools that they have. And so just kind of talk about the agency that that guy that gives you. I'm sure that this is just like, this is just how we do it. But a lot of architects don't think about it like that at all, right? They only use the software that they're given basically, or that they buy off the shelf. So are there any examples of, of the kinds of tools that you're talking about that really made your life easier on this project or, or maybe even more generally, not even specifically on this project? Yeah, I, I uh, one specific one was the street, um, how the street works in, uh, in the experience. There's a lot of sort of the, sh there's a shaders on shaders in, in there that are kind of smart. And I think like put say water near the, um, curbs or, uh, things like that, that, that mm -hmm. were kind of like it, Epic helped build those and also make them interactive so that you could change the weathering, um, uh, on the fly as a user. Um, it's things like that the, in the blueprinting process that, um, I think, you know, mm. it makes unreal, obviously for us, like so much more powerful and efficient. Um, and I'm sure that kind of mentality to sort of code something, uh, you know, isn't, it's not what a, a standard sort of architect would want to do, but I think, you know, it, it's, uh, gotta be pretty, um, you know, just grasshopper writing, writing different, uh, sort of algorithms and stuff like that for programs like that, uh, I think can make a lot mm -hmm. of things possible. It wouldn't have been possible before. So, yeah, you said blueprint and I just want to point out like, that's the name of the scripting part of unreal, right? Just to right, yeah. clear up any, anything there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Um, the, the, the tool making thing and just the willingness from unreal side to help develop their software along with you on this case study project, 
is is that just par for the course? Do you guys feel like nowadays with with companies who are who are pushing? Maybe maybe it's because they're pushing into this new market. But is this something that they're very yeah. willing to do with with people who are using their tools? I mean, I don't think we use it. And I think they do offer some like consulting and so forth as, as services. Um, we don't typically uh, do that. We obviously have been in the business a long time, so we have relationships. We've had yeah, relationships right. with people at Chaos Group and NVIDIA and other things that we can kind of spitball. But and like a project, you know, project by project base, we don't typically use that. For this, it was more because we were creating the tool for the whole industry, like you were saying. So yeah. that's one of the reasons they wanted to use an actual visualization studio, uh, that being Epic, um, to, to kind of make sure they're, they're developing the tools that we would, you know, want and use. So this way they're, they are on the off the shelf, off the shelf kind of uh, platform that architects, uh, could use. Yeah. I want to just maybe start wrapping up and talk about the feedback that you guys have received from releasing this project out into the wild. What's, what's that been like? What have you heard? What have you seen? Yeah, I mean, from, from, I mean, it's been pretty positive. It's been pretty exciting. I think a lot of people from just from, from different vantage points, one from softy himself has been, you know, very excited. You know, he's been, you know, it's a, it's a, it's one of his initial projects that he started his entire career. He was like 23 um, and, or something you know, when he did said, this, right? It was, he yeah, was, it's, it's been unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he even said if he had this tool when he was presenting to the, you know, to Montreal, whatever that they, they probably would have approved the bigger would, budget to build the whole thing. They would have done the whole. So there's thing. been yeah. that like kind of emotional, <laughs> yeah, right, nostalgic kind of uh, component. But in the industry, it's been it's been very positive as as far as just the the level of quality that now Unreal has. You know, I think everyone in the industry has used Unreal in certain regards, and it's been there. We've but but it's never really kind of matched up to the other quality of some of the other. Mm. platforms are used so now um people are excited to kind of see that so it's been just a, a ton of positive uh feedback from, from all different areas in the industry is your firm suffering from an illness common in the aec industry mediocre it support syndrome also known as mitts syndrome common symptoms include not submitting a ticket because your it provider takes too long to respond losing access to your files and having to deal with the issue yourself, or not getting advice and guidance on the latest tools and software because your IT provider doesn't understand your business. When you're focusing on these problems, you are not working on your next big project. We call this quiet suffering. If you've ever thought about your IT support as it could be worse, it's time to shake things up and get back to health with your IT. It could be much better. Think about it. If your customer is building a hospital, would they hire an architecture firm specializing in residential ADUs? Why are you putting up with a mediocre IT service delivered by a generic IT provider? ArcIT only supports architecture, design, and engineering firms at a price that would pleasantly surprise you. Let them take care of your IT so you can focus on doing your best work. Head over to their website, read the reviews, review their pricing. Yes, you heard that right. They put their pricing right on their website. And of course, request a free consultation at getarchit.com. G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com. How much more work was it? I mean, maybe you guys could just give us an idea of what it actually took to do 
like how big is this team? How long did it kind of take? I mean, not not anything specific, but give an idea of the undertaking that actually went into this because it has to be a lot different than what traditional rendering services are like because you got to build everything, right? And you're talking about all the 360 degrees of environment. You're talking about uh, actual environmental factors like rain and, and all that adds up, right? But but give people an idea of like what it actually takes to do something like this. Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing to know, this this took a tremendous amount of time, thousands of hours with dozens of people. Um, yeah. And one of the reasons is we were developing things for, you know, we were really pushing everything, you know, really yeah. going above and beyond. But but if we were to think about it, if this was like a, a, a project where Montreal hired us to kind of build this and so forth in Unreal, um, you know, in a, in a more of a traditional fashion, we don't really think it's that much different than what we would do in, in traditional software mm. packages. Because again, there's so many more efficiencies once the data set is built. So, if, you know, you know, it might be an expensive upfront cost and, and take a lot of work, but now, you know, the client gets a hundred renderings instead of 10 or, yeah, you know, right. as many films as they want. So there, so it's, it's just a different model. It's, totally. it is a lot of work. It was a, a big team, but if we were doing this in 3d studio max and V-Ray, it would also be a huge team yeah. and building all those details. So this is the scope of this is way bigger than a normal, a normal project for sure. I just, I'm kind of, I was just interested to see what it actually took because again, like thinking about the client, the final client and the, they have no understanding of all of what it takes to put in, n nor should they, right. But they're used to kind of just buying the final output and not seeing under the hood of all of this stuff that's gone into creating this. And I think now that's, to me, one of the most interesting things is you can have a client sit down next to you and you can be art directing with them at the table and you can be allowing them to drive throughout the process. And it kind of sh totally shifts that conversation so that they just don't have that super high expectation at the end, but they actually see what's going on. And that including them in that process yeah. is a big advantage, I think, for that that people maybe aren't exploring fully because this is a paradigm shift in how to do the work. Yeah, I don't know an answer specifically as far as it's, it was a lot of work. I mean, it was, yeah. we worked on this for close to a year and a half, you know, not everybody full time on it, obviously, but like there were, you know, thousands of hours. Yeah. I was just going to say another byproduct, which is interesting is if you can imagine this is like, they were trying to approve this, um, you know, using this tool and there are a lot of stakeholders that have, you know, if you just plop this down into, into an existing context of a city and with a couple of renderings and it's a huge kind of a monolithic project, it could, it, it could scare a lot of people. Um, but by allowing them to then interact with it and explore it on their own, it kind of just takes some of that fear out of it so that people can kind of understand a little bit more as well. So it's not just the educational purposes or the design purposes, but the, just, just the everyday kind of, you know, uh, local person that might be, you know, impacted by this, they can kind of also understand things and what, what's important to them. So it's, I think there's value, there's, there's a additional value, uh, beyond just kind of creating renderings or, or film and so forth. Matt, you got something there? Not a, yeah, I mean, I was just, I think 
just to drill down on an example for that, it's just, you know, so many projects get hung up at like the public is like, what is this going to look like from my house? Is this going to ruin my view? And with a tool like this, when you have the entire data set, you can show them, hey, this is going to be fine and it can pass, um, you know, all those public hearing processes that much, uh, that much more easily. So there is a lot of work to, and of course, Hillside was thousands of hours. Um, I think one of the reasons, one of the big reasons it was thousands of hours is because it's a public facing model that, so every single thing about it had to be like perfect. Um, if we were to do this for some other, uh, like a different, in a different, you know, uh, for a different client or a different purpose, uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, I don't think these things have to take as long as they did. Um, there are so many tools that Epic has built, like one of the, one of them, Lumen, uh, the real time kind of lighting system, uh, in, in Unreal really takes all of the time out of lighting. Like you can set up anything you want, um, very quickly. So, uh, you know, as Ryan said, it's, mm -hmm. it's probably the same amount of time that it would take to do a traditional sort of viz film that we do, but at the end of the day, you have this asset that can be used for so many different uh, purposes that it almost multiplies the value of what you're what you're doing in your time investment. So, um, so yeah, I think we're obviously everybody's yeah. pretty excited about what you can do, and once you have a complete data set like that, because um, it's not just make beautiful images and films. Yeah, yeah. traditionally renderings are used for an approval process, right? And they might show up. Uh, in an internal memo, they might show up on a job site sign someday. Um, but like you said, they don't have to be totally public facing. They were used to get to the next phase of the project. And this is completely different than that. Uh, so I, I'm glad you brought that up because that this is a, there, there's a different context to this and it, it does make a difference when you're kind of talking about it. And, and I think one of the interesting things that you brought up, Ryan, was this this idea of, you know, if this was a thing that they could have used to help tell the story of what Habitat 67 in all of its full glory would have been like, it, it does, like, you can't just give the, give the model to anybody and just say, here it is, it's done, and, and right. it, it answers all your, it does not speak for itself, right? It still requires the element of the creative direction of the story to introduce it to people so that the conversation can get to the point where you can start to address the various concerns that different people are going to have depending on where they live or how it affects them personally, right? In their building that they go, because I could see, you could, you could see like this giant thing from, this is like from Star Wars, right? When they fly over Coruscant or whatever. And it's like, there's this, the whole planet is city. Like, that's scary, right? There's this giant thing that's just plopped down into Montreal. I can see people freaking out about that. And it's tall. It's big. It's massive. Cool. And it, But at the same time, like, if you approach it as a storyteller, you can totally control that situation uh, in a much more nuanced way to really tell the story about it and put people at ease, take that fear away. Uh, like, that's just something as a again, as a designer, you learn over time is like, you learn how to 
get people's toes dipped into the water before you shove them in, right? <laughs> like that, this is yeah. a process. This is the storytelling is part of the process. It's a really important part of the process to get, you know, the traditional kind of approval thing happening, but uh, it, it is an, an important point to make and, and that still matters. And that uh, to me is still like this very human element to this very digital intensive, you know, process. Yeah, and this is it's a it's a it's a great point because even in this uh, case, you know, Moshe Softy in his head knew it was going to be open and these like great plaza and the scale of it, even though in an, an elevation it looks huge and monolithic. But now that like you know that scares people. But now if you're in there and you're looking around, you see it's mostly you know uh, light coming in and it's open and it's and it's, mm -hmm. but so there's, there's it's a scalable for the human condition. Mm -hmm. um, which might you might not get that from a rendering or or from from an elevation so it's yeah. it just allows people to to learn from yeah well is there anything that we haven't talked about with this project that you guys think would be worth mentioning I, I i'm sure that i haven't touched on all of it but if there's anything else i would love for you to offer it up and and talk about it if not that's fine too i think from my perspective i think we touched on you get everything from internal processes to tool sets to the storytelling to the, the the technical side of things. So yeah, I okay, you did a good job covering the whole project. Yeah, maybe the one thing I'd just add is Go the for potential it. for the user interface side of things with Unreal because you can, you know, it is an immersive environment and people can walk around at their own pace and and choose where to go, but you can kind of direct them with information. Uh, very easily using that kind of user interface and blueprint process. And uh, I think that's done in on uh, the online version of Habitat where, you know, you hear Moshe's voice, you can open this, change the time of day, change the weather, that kind of thing. So you can use Unreal as an information tool in that way, using that user interface and um, and tools like that. That, that's I, I love that you brought that up because the I, whole idea of, like I said earlier, that the model doesn't necessarily speak for itself, but you can add elements, a layer of information into this to help guide somebody to do something. And I think that is one of the real benefits of this fully immersive thing. If you think about it from that perspective, you don't just sit somebody down in front of a model and walk away, but you've actually kind of thought it through to guide them and, and you can basically create virtual tour guides per se, you know, and, and, and that really does help people kind of understand the project a little bit better if you're not sitting right there next to them while they're going through it. Yeah. And it's storytelling. It's just a different kind of storytelling, right? It's uh, directing people right. to go a certain what path, take a certain path rather than uh, choosing edit points in, in a film, but it's still the same. Right. Right. You know, story. Yeah. Well, final question here is how good does it feel to be done with this? <laughs> is this a it big load good, off? This is a, a long one. Yeah. It's it was uh it was exciting to see it released. I think it's it's been really exciting to see again the recognition and and, and the everyone's you know uh getting a taste of it. So that's been really exciting to see. I think from the artist side of things, you know, we, we, we never got to the snow season, you know, which is something, you know, we wanted to get to. And uh, so, or mm -hmm. some other kind of 
human elements that from from the creative direction up front that we for whatever reason didn't get there so um there's always that kind of phase two or like what we could have done like more of um, but that's in any i think art form that people that are in the weeds on things always can always see kind of the next step um, but it's definitely really a relief to kind of get it out there and have, have other people kind of experience it the way we've been looking at it for a year and a half plus yeah it feels great and it feels awesome to you know see all the reactions to it and um and generally everything's been super positive so it's awesome great have you guys seen the there's there's a youtube channel out there where they take assets and you know stylized assets from various old films and they turn them into wes anderson if wes anderson had yeah. had directed them so there's like star wars and and there's there's a quite there's a few yeah. of them now and they're, they're really funny i could totally see this being the backdrop for this new cool. kind of style of short films on youtube where i could see like what what does this look like in blade runner what is this in the star wars universe like people can take this and yeah make their own stories out of it and and you know what if this was you know it, it could be it could be really fun to watch that kind of a thing yeah i'm really i'm really excited to see what other people come up with for that's sure cool well you guys thank you so much for taking the time to talk today and i want to point people into the call to action here i think is to download this right you can tell everybody what they're actually downloading because it's it's a big download but but what can they do with it Uh, you can, well, you download the model and you can open it up and walk around in Unreal and, um, you, uh, so you get that, all of that functionality. Um, you can also go to the website and pixel stream sort of move around, uh, the, the model, uh, in a browser, uh, if you don't have a computer that, that can, um, handle it and, um, and yeah, you can also watch the film uh, as well. You know, the, this, the presets and so forth, they're in there of, of each lighting scenario and so forth. So you can kind of adjust oh, cool. anything you want and, and add rain or more rain or less rain or clouds or sun or that's cool. You can really you have full access into everything that we, we uh, created. What would you say the kind of system requirements are for getting decent performance in a model like this on a on a laptop or a desktop i'd have to get back to you with that um i don't want to say the wrong thing uh you definitely need a good graphic it's just like download it and try yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> download it and try it if not you do the website version yeah and i think there are different you know if you don't have the highest end graphics card you can run a version of it i believe but um let me get back okay. to you on that because i don't want to want to say the wrong thing Okay. Yeah. No worries. I, I just don't want somebody to be disappointed. They, they, I can, I could see kind of pretty decent requirements being necessary to, to get a good performance out of it because it is such a huge model. But like you said, there is the pixel stream version that you can access through the browser, which is really cool too. So, um, I, I want to, I'll put a link in the show notes so everybody can go to that and, uh, download it. And again, thank you guys so much for taking the time to have this conversation. It, it's very cool to see this happening uh, out there in AEC space uh, combined with your visualization expertise and with the tools that 
Epic is making. It's, it's this kind of perfect case study to show what's possible. And I know you guys push the limits and not everybody is at the level you are, but it really gives people an idea. I think once they see what's possible, then it unlocks the next level in their brain to say, oh yeah, well, maybe we can try that too or, or whatever. So I, that to me is very exciting in the world of yep. architectural visualization. Awesome. All right, guys. Yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for having us. This has been. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ed. Thank you. Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to our members this week. Find out how you can become a member at trxl.co and I'll talk to you again next week.